Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Radio Network in Morgantown, West Virginia, land of the two in one West Virginia University Mountaineers. I am Mike Fazza. Welcome in. Chris Anderson. Chris, the morning after, the two days after spin on this is that, well, a lot of people thought they'd be two and one after three games, anyways. And I, by and large, think that's probably true. It just feels different because I think people watch Illinois, Maryland, and then watch West Virginia, Maryland, and go, oh, that could have been a win. But they also watched Virginia Tech, West Virginia, and that could have been a loss. It could be two and one in a bunch of different directions. The only thing that's for certain is Long Island wasn't winning, but here we are at a non-conference play, heading into Big 12 play with the tallest task available. And two and one feels right, but also a little bit wrong, too. Yeah, I think if you know, the old thing, hey, what if I told you this before the game or before the season, how would you feel? And I think if you told somebody, hey, West Virginia is 2-1 and one, and they're in the others receiving votes category of the top 25, so it's it's a respectable 2-1, and one, at least as far as national perception goes, how would you feel about it? And I think most people would be happy with that, although understanding that if you're 2-1, and one, that means you lost to one of your rivals, which nobody is going to be happy about. But I think most people are like, hey, two and one heading in heading into uh, conference play must be doing OK, at least. Right. And so especially with the others receiving votes, it didn't get blown out by somebody. So I think it's an OK spot to be. But you're right. It just doesn't. Something feels off about it. Obviously, I, I don't think it's a fan best thing. There are a couple questions in our mailbag, which we'll get to in a minute about. Is this just a West Virginia fan best thing? And the answer is no. I think it's just a the product you're seeing on the field kind of thing, which we'll get into more here in a minute. I wrote yesterday that, I mean, it was kind of hard to watch Nico Marchio Friday night and then to to understand what he did and he was hurt and he wouldn't come off the field. He wouldn't be denied and know that's a quarterback who's going to be here. I mean, this time next year, obviously. And to see really like just kind of very mechanical quarterback rotation this guy and this guy out swapping strengths for weaknesses, things you can do for things you can't do late in the game. You can't lose. And you almost lost because of that position. And some of the, like I said, some of the machinations that went on there. And I'm just wondering, is there any other outcome here than like this, this offense is trying to get away from something and trying to get to something. And I don't know that that's necessarily bad. That means the errors of the ways have been identified and it, and it just takes time. I think to get to a rotation or to get to a point where you can play the other guy more than the guy you have. That's not good enough for people now, but tell me why I'm, why I'm wrong there that maybe this is an in, in a transition. It's going to be bumpy and that it should be better. Doesn't necessarily mean it will be better, but this is going to kind of be, I don't want to say ugly. It, it's not going to be pretty until it is. I'm not sure you're wrong. I think the, the, the reason 
the reason people are more upset is just because it's it's everything that Neil Brown's the, all the reasons that Neil Brown says Garrett Green are not playing turnovers, bad mistakes are all the things that Jared Diggy's currently doing in a game. Um, and I'm with you. I think there is a transition happening. I think it's actively in process. Uh, it didn't. I, I think everybody fans, uh, maybe myself included here. Uh, wanted to see just rip the band-aid off and make the switch and, and get some growing pains. And maybe that's not what you want to do when you're a head coach. You don't want to just be like, all right, screw it. We'll take a couple losses now and figure it out. Let our guy, you know, our new guy figure it out down the road. But it seems like there's a transition in process. The fact that they went Garrett green for that, or, or tried to go Garrett green for that final drive to run out the clock. I get the strategy. I get what, you know, he's a better runner. You want to run. You don't want to pass. You got to find new ways to run, to run out that clock. That was pretty telling. Very telling to me. I thought that showed that they had confidence in him. And maybe this is truly a transitioning that is actively in process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming there's some questions about that play call in the the mailbag, correct? (laughs) Just just going out on a limb there. there, There's, uh, there's some, some repetitiveness in the, uh, in in the mailbag, not just for that question, but a few other things. But All right, let's let's say that let's save that question or that that point of discussion until the actual mailbag there too. Um, some things that we see coming out of this, you're right. They are receiving votes in the poll. Big time catapult waiting for them. If they have, if they happen to beat Oklahoma, they're going to be in the top 25 for sure. It'll be three and one, and we can forget about all this stuff. Where oh no, two and one doesn't feel right, or oh no, they really could be one and two or three and zero oh or anything like that because you'll have a win that you've never had since you've been in the Big 12, and that's really the only thing that they're worried about right now. And and how do you make sure you do everything you can to secure that and not have conversations like this or errors like one that prompt the fair questions after the game? And truth be told. That's all they're gonna. That's all they're gonna probably talk about. And want to talk about too. But that's not why we're here. We have a lot of questions from people who watch the game, subscribe to the website, and are curious, confused, concerned about that and a lot of things. So we'll do that. Um, but before we dig in, Chris, because I don't even want to belabor the point anymore. We usually talk for a little bit. But upon reviewing things, anything stand out? Any one stand out that we didn't get to in the post game podcast or any of our discussions? And I bring this up because I think that the offensive line probably deserves some attention. I wrote about that a little bit yesterday, but it does seem that that was better. And against a good opponent that was supposed to have its way and do some things that was going to do some things that were going to disarm the running game, the protection. And for much of the game, they they were productive running the ball when Daigie was clean and, and had time. He was pretty good. Trouble is that they really came around the corners and they stormed the edges in the second half. And that that seemed to rattle Daigie. And I don't know why we didn't see quarterback change sometime sooner, but Again, that's something we can get to, but thought the offensive line was good. We mentioned some of the defensive players good. Again, not to pick on Dante Sells. I just thought it was strange that a running back, a receiver, and a long snapper had more tackles than he did on a day when the defense, I think we agree, played pretty good. But defense has gotten the attention. Um, perhaps I've taken an answer from you there, but two days later, anything, anyone stand out? No, the, the offensive line is something that <clears throat> I don't know if I want to say it stood out. I think maybe it stood out for like two-thirds of the game. I, I'm just confused by it, and I don't have an answer for it. Uh, before the season, I thought it would be better than last year. Like I, So I was stunned with the way they played, how poorly they played against Maryland. Uh, well, if I was stunned against Maryland, I'd, I don't even know how to describe my feelings with their play against uh, Long Island University. But then they start off this game 
against a defensive line that I think is probably I mean, let's let's be clear though on something. Virginia Tech and Maryland have two really good defensive lines, or at least like edge rushers, guys, guys that rush the quarterback, guys that are getting in the trenches that you have to block. And both of those are pretty darn good. Maybe two of the best teams that West Virginia will face all year in that category. But the way West Virginia started, I was like, wow, this is a completely different unit. And then they just fall off a cliff towards the end. But, but to a but here, the, is that because West Virginia's offense became so bland, so predictable, that they could just kind of pin their ears back and go at it? And, and it was very easy to uh, kind of figure out what West Virginia was going to do on offense and how to attack it. And it didn't matter who was on the offensive line. They were going to get eaten up because of the uh, disadvantage there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's accurate. I hate I hate saying this stuff because it sounds very – I'm not, I don't mean this in a derisive way, but it sounds like fan speak. And I think it can maybe simplify things too much. But I do believe their offense is predictable, especially when they go into a shell like that, when they just kind of convince themselves and try to convince the other team that 27 points will win the game. And hey, 27 points did win the game. But they really came out of that locker room saying, listen, we just need one score. Three or seven doesn't matter. One score, we're good because then Tech won't have enough possessions. And hey, we'll be singing at the end of the game. And again, it worked because they got a long drive and a field goal. It almost didn't work. <laughs> like, I know I, I would say that, hey, that counts. So, sure, they win, that counts. But I just wonder if that, you know, if teams prep for West Virginia on film, see the first half, get into the locker room and say, here's what we saw on film, here's what we saw on the field, match it up, here's what we're going to get in the second half. And that may describe some second half performances. But I also think that there's times where you can watch the winning formula for West Virginia. You, you called it, I believe, the TCU. Yeah. Plan, right? Mm-hmm. They did that twice last year. They tried to do that before, where, you know, they, they, I really, they don't want to lose with their offense. They'd much rather win with their defense. And I think that you could probably get to a point with some WVU games where you say, all right, this is what they're going to do. And look, teams prepare for that. And when you get down 27 to 7 to West Virginia, when you go in the locker room 24 7 at the half and you know they get the ball, you can probably flip to a chapter in the prep and say, we can expect this. And they did. And, it worked out for them defensively. They got a lot of help from West Virginia's offense, though. This is so we're kind of semi starting the mailbag here because yeah, there yeah, were several, several questions about that second half. And I think it's it's a discussion that needs to be had because my immediate thoughts were one, the, the point of a head coach is to win football games. Okay. I know that, yeah, it's cliche. You, you play to win the game, like Herm Edwards said. The fact that they went to the quote-unquote TCU offense I don't hate it I mean it's not enjoyable to watch but the only way the only way West Virginia was losing that game was if their offense peed down their leg sorry pardon that but just like just completely lost it and and that was the only way they were losing that game and so when they went three yards in a cloud of dust and just hey let's just go home you're trying to win the game, and but then the offense pees down its leg anyway. I think that's what's so disappointing for a lot of people, so crazy to think about, and why Neil Brown had to field after beating an arch rival who's ranked in the top 15 in front of a crazy crowd. He's having to talk about how bad his team played, and I, I don't. And he he admitted it. He admitted it. Fair questions, and I think they were fair too. Um, so I don't hate the 
screw it, let's just sit on the ball kind of second half approach. Because that was the only way they were going to lose the game was if the offense tried to do something and couldn't. Mm-hmm. And then they ended up trying to do something and couldn't anyway. Last, last one on this, and we can go into it. Um, he said that they probably took the air out of the ball too early. Did they? <laughs> I think you can argue both ways, really. Could it, could they have taken it out earlier? Just sat on it after like the first quarter? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could say, well, I think you could say that, well, they, they might have, because remember they had like a nine-minute field goal drive in the second quarter, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think you could say that what he says is true. They pulled the plug on that too soon. But then you might also say, no, actually, that's probably the right way to go, knowing what we know, and more importantly, what we don't know. Like, they could have they could have had some fun and thrown green in and just done RPO stuff in that third quarter and see what happens. You could still play the lead, but you could maybe get some pop plays or get tech spinning. Um, I don't know. Maybe they got to burn some timeouts because they're getting run downhill. Who knows? Like, you could have done something different than what they did, and it might have worked. You might have gotten to 30. I just find that Ozzie Brown said, like, we had to get to 30 points to win. Where, like, we talked about that number a bunch, and now he hasn't gotten there. That's not just something we say. Like, that's the thing, like the number of possessions, the way they play defense, like if they get to 30, they're going to be OK. A lot of times they're going to lose some games because they might get into a shootout. They can't win. But I think the way they otherwise control the game and, and it can run the ball doesn't mean they do in the past. They've been able to do it, um, play some defense. And again, not a lot of wins we're talking about here, but they can succeed in that style. I don't think that was a bad idea. So maybe they didn't go to it too early, but I mean, maybe maybe they could have done it sooner. Maybe maybe they shouldn't have done. It. I don't know. I think it's an interesting point that I'm sure we'll get to here. Should I just stop talking? And I'll let you dig in. Yeah, you ready to get you ready to get started on the mailbag? Let's do it. Questions, answers. We'll get to as many as we can here today. Saturday, Virginia Tech. Next Saturday, Oklahoma. I'm assuming this will probably focus on the Hokies. Maybe we'll get some Sooners. There's a couple in there by people how they're not scared of Oklahoma, which is kind of a crazy thing when you think about it, but. Maybe there's some truth to that. And then the rest, Chris will try to sweep up into a written version sometime this week. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. You have an idea on that one yet? I probably should check with you on that one, huh? What, on when this is going up? Mm-hmm. The written mailback? Yeah, it'll go up in the morning. Morning. Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning. All right, well, let's get to it. It's Monday morning. You have questions. We might have answers. Take it away, Chris. Uh, we kind of addressed the sitting on the ball in the second half. There are about 10 to 12 to 20 questions on that. Uh, in the thread and something else that you know elicited a lot of uh, a lot of questions was that infamous end of half drive where West Virginia got first and goal at the Virginia Tech two went goal line fade Jarrett Daigie rollout right pass kind of thing where he stumbled uh, went for a two yard loss and then I believe it was empty set five wide Jarrett Daigie passing and then settling for a field goal. Um, a lot of people asking a lot of questions. I'll just go with bit crunchers here since he was first. Uh, when are we going to feed le- the ball to Letty on first and goal rather than running fades that don't work? Mike, your thoughts on that whole process? So I've revisited it with you even to try to figure out what happened, right? Mm-hmm. I will. I'm going to take away the protection that I gave away because I thought that the first play was a bad snap and that Daigie just tried to make lemonade, right? Yeah. I don't think so. I think that might have been an RPO where he never got a chance to do the handoff, but there's a screen up top. It's a long throw, so I don't think it's going to be a screen. And look, they run that fade to Esdale a lot. I've seen him do it a billion times in their practices they let us come into. And then more importantly, like I, there was a time earlier this season where I thought that they were going like they used a timeout and they took Ryan, Sean Ryan out and put Esdale in because I thought they were going to run that fade. That's what I'm talking about. Like there are certain times you can anticipate what West Virginia is going to do. Um, I hate the call. And you have some some numbers and 
anecdotes to back it up, but I hate the call. I just don't like fades there, especially when you're going ahead six feet with one of the best running backs going six feet and you're trying to throw a pass that's, you know, 15 yards in the air to a guy who's in one-on-one coverage. I just have a hard time doing that. I'd much rather try and fail four times with my running back than throw a fade and then give my running back three more chances. The the second down play, the protection's awful. They get killed with an A-gap blitz. The middle linebacker just comes right through the middle. There's no chance to block it. Uh, I don't know what was going to happen there, but I think Diggy just tried to get out of danger. He looked maybe to throw it. I think that was going to be a pass play, though, because Michael Lachlan's peeling across the back, so it looks like they're trying to get motion or eyeballs to the right, and then O'Loughlin's coming right to left, so it might have been some type of a gadget play with the tight end. Um, third down play probably should have worked. He just kind of got stuck with the ball, patted the ball, and had Sam James, but Sam James, by the time he kept resetting, was in the back of the end zone and really couldn't do much with it. Um, the thing is that something goes wrong on all three of those plays because you're, you're maybe passing, and you invite that into the room when you get away from the simple thing. And what struck me about their game plan and then some of their discussions afterwards was that they talked about going under center. Do you remember this? Yep. And the explanation, get the ball to Letty quick. He's not as deep. Um, and then the play is on top of the offensive line and the defensive line really fast. The offensive line has the advantage and they can get downhill. That was for open field situations. Why the heck wouldn't that be on the goal line? <laughs> like, that's a really good explanation for why you go under center and why you're trying to get quick stuff and help your offensive line. Why not do that in the, the I would think, the most accommodating spot and situation for that type of plan? I'm with you, I, and I think this is, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast or asking these questions and looking for a defense of the play calling in that, in that situation, you're not going to find it for all the reasons Mike just mentioned, some others that we're about to talk about. Uh, I think it was completely inexcusable. The um, uh, uh, another angle is the clock here. Like the clock is running yeah. when, when West Virginia gets the ball at the two yard line and there's about two minutes left on the first down play. There's a little over two minutes left. Clock is running and they rush up to try to run a play, which I don't hate because, you know, maybe you catch him off guard, hand it off to Letty Brown real quick, get in the end zone. Uh, You know, catch him off guard and just pound it in real quick. Okay. But you're coming down to the end of the half and you're getting the ball at the start of the second half. Run the ball. If you don't make it, the clock runs off. Or Virginia Tech has to use a timeout. Do it again. Do it again. I would have literally ran the ball four times in a row right there. And and yes, I know I think I said – kick a field goal when it was fourth and four from the four yard line to make it a three possession game. But if you're, I'm assuming you're getting it within the one and you got three timeouts to try to stuff them, get a safety, something, anything. Uh, I'm, I'm never passing in that situation uh, in part because one, all the, the timing part that I was just talking about with the clock and running some clock out, if you don't make it Two, Letty Brown had gone on his carries on that drive, six yards, six yards, 11 yards. You don't think he could have gotten two yards and four carries? Like, just give him the ball right there in that situation. Just just do it. Um, second was another part was somebody else on a related question to this. It was WVUG13. Uh, he refer- referenced some stats on the fade route and success at the goal line. And I started to Google it, and Google auto-filled for me, goal line fade, and then it added success rate, question mark. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Apparently, a lot of other people are, too. And I found a great story 
from Mina Kimes, who was at ESPN at the time. And she had detailed the stats of how NFL teams were just no longer throwing the corner fade, like a goal line fade, just throwing it over towards the pylon and hoping their guy beats him one-on-one. Said that the success rate for that in 2019, she wrote this story in 2020, before the 2020 season, was 13%. 13% success rate on that play. And detail back, you know, it, it's never been good. It's always been below like 30%. And that teams are throwing it less and less and less and less. And everybody in this thread is asking, why does West Virginia keep doing that? Why does West Virginia keep doing that? And Mina Kimes asked an offensive coordinator in the NFL, why do coordinators keep dialing up this goal line fade? Quote from this. Hold on, hold on, this, hold on, hold on. I want the drum roll. <laughs> Give me the drum roll. Do we, do we have do we have the budget for uh, sound effects? I don't know if we do or not. Boy, we're still <laughs> waiting for our bumper music, too. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, don't get me started on that. Uh, but the this is the quote directly from the offensive coordinator, and it is going to answer everybody's questions as to why West Virginia keeps running that. Quote, they don't trust their quarterback. End quote. There you go. Why that is from an NFL offensive coordinator. Why do coaches dial up goal line fades at the two or three, four yard line, whatever it is? Uh, I believe her, yeah, five yards or less is what the stats are. Why do they do that? An exact quote from an NFL coach they do that because they don't trust their quarterback. So, yeah, I think you're right. And that's that's it. So, um, as you're talking, and I'm nodding my head in this stuff, I'm going back and I'm watching the play because I, I was trying to get it. And I said O'Loughlin was coming across the back line of that. It's not true. He goes off and like sets a rub. It's Sean Ryan who's going across the back. And it's a it's a clever play because again, it looks like everything's going to the right and they set like a screen and he gets free and, and he's going across the right on the back of the end zone. It, it's gonna be a tough throw for Daigie though. Like you're asking him to like sell something to the right and then go like it's almost like a throwback. It looks like I haven't really seen them run this play before. So kudos to them, but they're in like a bunch formation where you think they're gonna throw it and it looks like a run. But Daigie bails on it. And again, the protection's bad. Like they get they get beaten the A gap right away. Nestor, who I thought had a good game, is is on skates. It's not his fault. But there's a chance there. It's probably a one receiver out. The third down play is the killer. James is open. He's doing jumping jacks in the end zone. And that's gotta be there. And that's a play they run a lot. It's a simple play. And like they run a lot, and it should be something he's good at. And he and he just didn't do it. And and I wonder if the speed of the of the blitz and that second down play where everything was in his face right away and he bailed and tried to run instead of throwing it away and I wonder if that second down pressure sped him up and spooked him on third down, which goes back to your point. If you're just doing the quick catch tap throw on the fade, that's all that is. That's a that's like a three second play. Bang, bang, bang. Um, that's as easy as it gets for a quarterback. And you're taking a lot of the risk out. Believe it or not, you're making it easier on your quarterback to act, ask him to make that play because that's just a rep thing. And you see them do it, throw it into a net a thousand times. Just like catch it, plant it in your hands, throw it to the guy on a spot um, and let him make a play on it. And for lack of a better phrase right now, that's just that's just kind of who they are and what they can do. Yeah, and I think, you know, in that same article, it talked about the different routes at the goal line and how successful they are. And slants and flat routes and all that stuff, they're far more successful. Three times, I mean, I think it was 60% or so for flat routes, 45% or so for slants. Um, they're more successful, but they're also more, you know, higher, higher risk, higher reward uh, kind of thing because – it, it, you throw slants, there's a lot of hands in the middle, a lot of people in the middle. You throw those flats out and out routes, 
that that's inviting for a pick six. You know, you have to be able to have the arm strength to really zip it in there. And again, that's telling. I mean, that that quote from that NFL coach, that's my if you ask me why West Virginia keeps doing that, I'm just going to point to that NFL coach. And there's your answer. That's why. Yeah. Um, moving on, uh, speaking of play calling, this one from Truly WVU. If Neil gives up play calling duties fully, we think, maybe, who knows, um, are they already in-house or do you pluck from another school? Well, this is going to be a really good question to ask and tough one to answer because I would say this. If, if Jared Parker is still on the staff, I'll just say that. I'm not, I'm not insinuating anything or suggesting anything. I don't know how it wouldn't be Parker that's calling the plays. I'm not sure that what Parker does or has done to instill the faith that he would get that. So if he's not here because he's the head coach at some school or he's an offensive coordinator at some school or if he just wants to go back to Kentucky and, and farm, whatever. But if he's not on the staff, then you might think that would be a change. I just can't see Brown bringing in somebody else over Parker. But that leads me to this. Who does Parker, who does Brown know more or better than Parker right now? And who would he entrust with that responsibility, if not Parker? Is it going to be someone who has to be on the staff for some period of time? You know, off seasons, seasons, games, critical moments, red zone possessions. I just think it's going to take a lot for Brown to have that pulled from his hands. And if it does happen, it's going to be someone that he trusts and knows to give it away to, which would be in this equation, Parker. If Parker's on the staff, maybe. If Parker's not on the staff, it's not going to be him. But if Parker's on the staff, is he the guy that Brown wants to give it to based on what we've seen and know so far? I think those are hard questions to answer, like I said. Now, if you're just picking, if you're starting over and it's like a season where, let's just say all the assistant coaches are free agents and they get to go out and sign with other schools and West Virginia can sign or re-sign or match offers, whatever. But let's just say like everybody's on an expiring contract and they got to go out and do it, which, by the way, isn't exactly – the way it goes, but isn't unlike it either because contracts run out and coaches can go wherever they want. But let's say he has his pick. I think that's interesting. Let's not say like a name of a person, but what is the 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 fingerprint, the thumbprint of that person? Is it a tempo person? Is it an RPO person? Is it a person who wants to have, you know, an air raid that can run it like the predecessor here did? Is it a person who wants to be run heavy but can actually pass effectively? Do you like the big quarterback? Do you like the mobile quarterback? And and based on what we've seen for 25 games, I don't really know yet what Brown would be for that. Balance is cool. Identities are really cool. You can recruit to identities, but you can also recruit to wins. And if you balance and you win, that works. So this is not a way out of the, the question. I think it's a good question, but I think it's hard to answer because of, one, the personnel aspect. But two, who would Brown – like if Brown is typing up ad and Indeed – for an offensive coordinator, what's the job description? What am I running? You know, are we going to be a heavy offensive line? Are we going to be a, a tall and lean offensive line? Are we going to run tempo? Are we going to run ball control? Or are we going to be like the 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 Cheesecake Factory menu? And it's like 70 pages with a whole bunch of different menus and nationalities. It's pasta, it's steak, it's fish. The dessert menu is like six pages long because it's all sorts of different pastries and cakes and ice creams and pies. Like, I don't know yet. And I just think that, like, that would be a really hard sell right now to bring somebody in from scratch, let him do it when that person doesn't know it. And then also it's going to take some time to iron that out and to and to continue this goofy analogy just to make the right order <laughs> in the kitchen. 
Hey, I don't think it's goofy. Um, is is I've already kind of made a food analogy before in relation to Neil Brown, and and you're too you're too in shape to be making food analogies, Mike. Uh-huh. You, you 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 can't do that. There's only one. You're on my corner here. You're on my corner. My bad. Um, somebody asked me after the Maryland game. This was in relation to Neil Brown as a whole, and I think it fits with the offense since that is what his specialty is supposed to be. <clears throat> of what is one word you would use to describe? Neil Brown's overall performance to date relative to expectations. And the one word I came up with was tapas. Uh, for those who don't know, tapas are like small <laughs> plates of appetizers and it's a variety of different things. And I said, tapas, it's a bunch of small plates with wildly different things on them for me to try. Some I hate, some I love. And with those things I love, I'm looking around for more and wondering why they don't just offer this small plate item as a full meal. And I think that's kind of, what you're saying there too, right? Like yeah, there are things that you like, things that you don't like, and you're wondering why they keep switching back and forth to 18 different things. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Oh, I'm so mad. That's good. (laughs) But but I'm with you because you asked me, your question to me was, what's on the Indeed Indeed resume? I don't know. I don't know what he says, what, what he's looking for. Like, hey, you have to be able to be an expert in this type of offense or that type of offense or whatever it is. Yeah, and then to that point, if you if you get a meeting with Brown, what are you leaning on? Right. To really sell yourself. I don't know. Like we can play complimentary football. That might be it. But then what's your thing? I just don't know. Like they they've got a really good running back and they want to run the ball and then play like they did or they wanted to play and I think that's okay, but the person who's getting that ball every snap is the quarterback and then there's just there's different identities now and later that that you can look at and say this is i I just don't know that you can survive with it with a platoon i'm looking around and there's ways to do it and i think west virginia can get there but is is this offense better in the near term or the long term if it's flipped if it's daggy getting the green snaps and green getting the daggy snaps i think a lot of people would argue yes but how do you get there? Because you're really reverse engineering things. That's tough to be. That's going to be tough to do in stream, which then leads you to all right. Well, you would go with a green offense for whomever is in that that interview, whoever sent the really good resume. But then, what's that green offense? Is it RPO? Is it mobile quarterback? Is it you know something like we're seeing where it's just green running a lot and then having a limited number of plays? You would think not. But then, what's the green passing package look like? And then, by the way, I think a lot of people like Will Crowder. And you also have Marchio coming in, and that's that's going to be it's going to be a very interesting spring. It's going to be a very interesting fall, and that's. <laughs> uh, I think one more question here on the quarterback ish discussion and offense discussion. This one from Bryson Harvey: Which offensive change would be more impactful? Change the starting QB or commit to no huddle for all snaps when not leading by four touchdowns? <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. This this is your wheelhouse. I don't know if they can play with the pace because their offensive line. 
But then again, like we saw Milam come in. Jordan White can play. I think Hubbard could play a little bit. I just think you tax your offensive line. But I think that West Virginia can do enough things with formations. Like we saw some cool stuff with formations and flipping things. And that was by and large because they added a Lachlan back in. But there were some some different things. And then I don't know if you noticed this, but like they didn't start two outside receivers. They started Winston Wright, Sam James, and Sean Ryan. Mm-hmm. Right? But James can play outside. You can do a whole bunch of stuff. And then I just think that you create openings and you make defenses play just a very vanilla way if you go fast. And can that work for 60 minutes for 12 games? I don't know. But I just think that that's – of these options, I think that's that's kind of a neat idea is that, listen, by and large, West Virginia runs like, let's say, 10 plays, but they can they can use – six different formations and, and different personnel groups. And all of a sudden you got what looks like 60 plays, right? It's not that easy, yeah. but you get the map. You have plays, you dress them up, you do it differently. Well, if you run the same play over and over and over, but you run different formations and you move your personnel around, oh, Michael Lachlan's H-back. Now he's a tight end detached. Now he's a slot receiver. But you're running the same stuff. That one play, you can just keep hitting them with and you keep the defense in a base and they're in your crosshairs and you can do it. You can do that with all sorts of different things. You just keep your same personnel on the field, you might swap somebody in. Let's say a Lachlan wants to come out and, all right, let's put in Banks or let's put in, you know, Bryce Ford Wheaton, then we'll put Sam James back in the slot. Something like that where you just kind of get a little bit tricky, but you play fast and you're you're sticking with what you're good at, but you're adding to it in such a way that you're still good at it, but you're making the defense, you're throwing the defense off the scent because while you're doing the same things, you're dressing it up just enough. And you're successful and you keep stacking plays like that and then confidence, momentum, and then the more swings you take at the tree, the sooner that tree's going to tumble. I like that idea of the two. I don't know. I, I I don't know if I can take a you know the opposing position here, but I will say my first thought was, wait, is West Virginia good when they go full up tempo? Mm. Uh, I, I don't know if I have an answer for that. I don't know if you want to. I could, you know what? Maybe I am going to take the opposing angle here because when you are overmatched talent wise or scheme wise or whatever, and I think, you know, I mean, maybe that's not something everybody wants to hear that's listening to this podcast. But if West Virginia's offense is overmatched, like the other, the opposing team's offense is just that much better, when that happens in basketball, you slow down and you limit possessions and you try to keep it you know, the, the, the variance is, is greater when there's fewer opportunities. And so I think if West Virginia can limit the possessions, that might actually benefit them. If if they can keep it to more scripted plays and not have to, because I think that's when they found the most success is when it's all scripted plays, they stick to it and maybe have less plays. The, the biggest problem they're having right now is that opposing teams are just getting that many more plays than they're getting. Uh, because of the turnover. So I think if you can limit if you can limit the harm that your own offense does to your own team, you might be better off than trying to go full up tempo and, and figuring it out. I don't mm. I'm not trying to be a wet a wet blanket here, but it's yeah. a good it's a good discussion. I like it. it's a good question. And again, you can argue both sides of it too. The one thing that wouldn't work here though is that what's what's one way you can get a team out of out of tempo? Well, you get them behind the chains. And I think you'll see teams that are getting tempoed and they say, screw it. We need a TFL or a sack, something, and they blitz or they send heat or something like that. And if Daigie's the guy back there, 
never mind the numbers, your eyes just show you exactly what the deal is. Like, it's going to be different. So you might have something good going. All of a sudden, a defensive coordinator is going to be like, fire. We're sending somebody, right? And they're going to do something. All of a sudden, you got second and 16, and now you're not going to hurry up and punt. And that, and that takes the steam out of it. Now, the other thing is, if you change the quarterback and you send that blitz because you're trying to get second and 16, number six sees it and just bump fakes, and he's outside running up the sideline, and it's first and 10, and you're in the red zone. There's a risk there, and it by and large depends on who your quarterback is. Diggy might be better at triggering the offense and getting everything lined up and putting the ball in play, but he also is probably more prone to a negative play, either by his arm or his legs there. So that would be a drawback. All right, uh, moving on to let's let's focus on the defense a little bit. Um, uh, is this Bryce? Yeah, user Bryson Harvey again here. He pulls some data from uh, Pro Football Focus overall defensive grade and notes that Dante Stills, this is year over year, was 84.2 last year, down to a 61.7. So far, Sean Mahone's 76.7, down to 47.5. Chandler Semedo from 73.6 to 58.8. He asks, whose early season regression has hurt the WV defense the most, and which is most likely to bounce back? Not worried about Dante Stills. Not. Same. Um, I don't mean to cut you off, but same. I, I think that that grade might be a little misleading. I think he's he's just taking the Darius Stills role of taking attention while the others make plays. Sorry. Go ahead. Fine. That's fine. That's kind of what I would say. And also the defensive line has played really well. So that's okay. That's not hurting him. I was surprised to see the Chandler Semido numbers. He played every snap. And there were some bad moments of the defense toward the end. I think that probably hits him because he's the middle linebacker. But I was surprised by that. Hard to say he or anybody was great against LIU. And then the first game, hey, first game for him and Mike, they got caught on some stuff they weren't expecting, and and speed really hurt him. They got screened to death, wore him down, not a lot of subs. But I was surprised. I think he's better than that. So I'm not really too concerned about that. Their linebackers have been okay, and they have a way to get to it. Bartlett certainly helps. But... Chandler's going to have to play. Like, they're not going to play Stevens a whole bunch. They really don't have another mic. So you almost can't pick that one because there's no other option. And even upon the initial glance of the question, before I even got into explanation for the other two, my answer would have been Mahone. Just that that's the back-end guy, and he's he's been complicit in some mistakes this year where he hasn't been in the right spot, he's been chasing, he's been not looking, and... They're really trying to keep an umbrella on things with their safeties, and I think a die has been good. I think Mahone could be better. I am in 100% agreement. I mean, I cut you, I cut you off and stole your thunder on the on the stills part. I agree with everything you said about Chandler Tomato. I'm a little bit surprised by the by that grade, um, but it it if you look a little deeper, it kind of fits with what I was seeing with my own two eyes. He's been solid in, in run defense, above average, e- even according to Pro Football Focus's grade. He's just been pretty bad in coverage, and I've seen him miss a couple guys coming across his zone um, and, and let them make pat, make uh, complete the pass. And I think that's really what's dinging him and bringing his grade down. And it's something that, you know, it's different than he, he was having to cover guys as the will last year. So it's not like he's never done it before, but it is different being in the middle there. Uh, probably going to end up covering a few more guys than he's accustomed to, or at least different types of guys. Um, and, and so the answer is Sean Mahone, because I think a couple of these big plays that have that teams have broke and, and plays that have really hurt West Virginia so far this season, 
again, I relayed the story of one defensive coach at West Virginia several years ago who hated these grades because they they kind of assume what the coverage is, and that's not always correct. And we are assuming the coverage, but it, it's I maybe a kind of semi-safe assumption when you're watching the game and you see the back of Sean Mahone's jersey running desperately trying to catch up with a guy that's running away with football in his area. And so I think there's been a couple of times where he's had some blown coverages and it's really cost West Virginia this year. So he's the pick for who needs to step up right now. This is your starting safety, sixth year senior starting safety. And he has the lowest coverage grade on the entire team. 35.1. I mean, that's like 65 is what you're shooting for. And he's got 35.1. Startling. But yeah. right answer. But again, a guy who's to answer the question too is 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 likely to make it up too. Yeah. Or to come back, let's say. I would say he's he's he we have a full season that's shown that he's not that bad. So we don't think he's a bad player. And there there is room for him to bounce back, and he's shown it before. Um Mike, you were there in the press box at the game. First time in a long time for a home game against a regional rival. So S. Curry WVU asks, how was the game day experience? Did the rivalry game move the needle more than, say, a home game against Oklahoma State or Kansas State? I have made peace with us being in the new Big 12, but everything about this past Saturday really makes me miss playing regional rivals. What were your thoughts on the crowds? And it sounded like one of the loudest in recent memory. Yeah. Awesome experience that the weather was perfect. Um, I always walked to the stadium and I was just surprised like in my neighborhood, like how active it was again. And Oklahoma state and Kansas state, they they'll bring people from out of town. Iowa state more so than anybody else, but those are two that are noticeable. So those stuck out from the question. It was just totally different. Like the number of visitors in, in town all weekend were big, but I just remember walking to the game through my neighborhood foot traffic everywhere to get to the stadium like i go around by law school and all that stuff um to get to the game and just an energy a lot of people out the weather was perfect you know all sorts of smells and sights and sounds and it, it did occur to me that never mind last year it wasn't like this but you just haven't had that before because like when, when oklahoma comes to town it really gets no bigger and, and west virginia hasn't beaten them and sometimes hasn't been on the field with them has been a couple times maybe should have one or two wins but kind of deflating sometimes and then Texas, I think, just pisses people off in Morgantown. Um, and, and West Virginia has been better than them for for quite some time in, in this league. And they're sure not on the field, too, which is kind of a weird thing to say. My point being that, like, just the the Big 12 thing, even when people got used to it, I kind of felt like they were just kind of grudgingly accepting it. And it wasn't an excitement thing. And then you kind of went out to the tailgates and you got up for the game because that's what you did or a noon kick, a 3.30 kick, a 7 o'clock kick on a Saturday. This was totally different. This was, we're going to do our thing on a football Saturday because it's Virginia Tech. It might have been similar for Virginia. I'm sure it'll be similar, maybe better for Pitt. Penn State would be interesting. So, you know, Maryland, Pitt, Penn State. We've, we've talked about this before. What's the hierarchy for your top four rivals with Virginia Tech? Man, to me, it felt like Virginia Tech was was up there where it had been years and years ago. Like that used to be a really ugly festive scene when they came to town and 
just to see it again was like, oh man, I forgot about that. That used to be a thing here. So that was refreshing. So you, you talk about matchups and, and you know, if they do change conferences, if new teams come to town, you know, what's West Virginia's worth? That was a really good snapshot because everybody was excited about it. 60,000 people there in the stadium. It was awesome. Like, I'm, I'm not in the stands, so I can't tell, but I can see everything that's happening pretty much. And, like, I think a lot of people made this note online. Whomever was running the audio, the music, the sound effects, the stuff that transitions you from the game to a timeout and the timeout back to the game, Man, give that person an A plus because there was energy from start to finish in that game. Halftime show was really cool, but the band was nice. It was kind of fun. A Dolly Parton tribute, Chris. Excellent. No, that got you going. So <laughs> the whole thing was really cool, and it was kind of a reminder. Again, just because we didn't have it last year, it was a reminder. But just because you haven't seen that in so long, it was a reminder. Like it was, it was easily to me, it was easily the biggest thing since probably like the Tech, or excuse me, the LSU game in 2011. And I think we thought that was probably going to be, you know, a rival to that. That was a night game, totally different. It wasn't the same. That was just a unique confluence of, of fans. And, you know, that was the first year they were selling beer, too. So not that, I don't think. But, man, there was nothing wrong with it. And I think you talked to visitors who just were kind of blown away by it, too. I had, Just the music was I, just a weird thing. It just caught my attention. Whoever was doing the audio just did a really good job because everything was like crisp and to get teams into timeouts and out of timeouts, you know, that, that guy's on the field with the clock saying you got, you know, two minutes and 40 seconds left until we come back from break and start again. Let's fill that 240 up with something. And whoever did that, find that person and tell that person that he, that he or she did a really good job because it's not an easy thing to do, but kept that energy going. Um, got some help from the game. The game was tense, but that, that was a pretty lively place for three hours. All right. Coming in uh, second behind music coordinator, I'm going to adjust the big dude's question here. Your top unit, West Virginia position group for the team through what I guess we're going to say the quarter mark of the year. What is your top unit, your top position group? How about you take it because we're going to have the same answer and I'm tired of stepping over your answers. Are we? I feel, I feel bad. I think so, but let's go. Let's see. As a defensive line? Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I think <clears throat> I think it's just getting started. Akeem Mesador has been amazing, all conference level performer. Uh, like it, he was freshman All American last year, and he looks even better this season. Not letting that get to his head. Uh, I mean, Taj Austin. We wondered, hey, we, he looked pretty good in the limited time we we saw him, but. Then he was hurt and, and hurt for a long time and hurt again and hurt again. Is he capable of, you know, fully recovering from that and being 100% of what he was? And it, it looks like it. He looks better than he did before he went down. Uh, Jordan Jefferson, uh, they started. he started getting some snaps. Looks pretty good. Sean Martin looks pretty good. Jalen Thornton looks pretty good. Daryl Middleton currently the highest graded player on the entire team limited snaps <laughs> but <laughs> very limited snaps but you don't even need pro football focus to to realize that he's playing well when he gets in the game it's only a handful of snaps a game but he got in there and made plays both times and again you're, you're talking about a group with Dante Stills who is taking a lot of the attention uh, might not have the grades or the stats but he's in there making a difference and that group is strong up front I'm with you. And they talked about this, and I think you're starting to see it now with definitely Austin, but I think Sean Martin, too. 
Mesador's motor is impressive and it rubs off. It's contagious. Um, he, he just doesn't stop. He runs around and does things. And I, I think Martin especially, like, but Austin you can tell too, and it may just be because Austin's getting back into that. But, like, Martin, for a guy who doesn't play a ton, he really goes when he's out there. And that's a great example to have because those guys aren't going to play a whole lot. Like, those, the snaps are going to be concentrated to Stills, Mesador, and Austin. But if you can get Martin and Jefferson and – I haven't seen a whole lot of Jalen Thornton or Linnell Carr, but if you can get those guys to come in for, you know, a relief pitching appearance, so to speak, but if they're flying around and, and playing as hard and as fast as they can, they're going to do a pretty good imitation of those guys. And more importantly, they're not going to give the offensive line a break. Because like, I'm sure they'd like to see 90 and 55 and 12 jog off the field, but the other guys are coming in and be like, you know what, I'm coming at you just as hard as those guys are for six snaps. That is not a break when those guys want to break. Yeah, I'm with you. I think in – it was. I was a little concerned. I think after that Maryland game, just because they they didn't rotate. I mean, they did not rotate hardly at all. I, I think it was. Um, I can pull it up, but I won't. I won't give the dead air. But I, I'm pretty sure it was like 90 percent of the snaps were going to the starting defensive lineman, and that was it. Like 80 to 90 percent, and it needs to be a little more spread out than that. Uh, yep. you, you get exhausted, and and we saw it, and the coaches admitted it, and to their credit, they made the change. Uh, it was hard to really tell against Long Island U because as a blowout, everybody's going to rotate in. But the next real game, this one against Virginia Tech, they rotated. They got guys in there. Um, you know, some played like 20 snaps but as backups, but and other guys only played a handful. But it was enough to give your main starters a rest, keep everybody fresh, and keep up that pass rush. And that's why they ended up with 13 tackles for loss and sacked the quarterback a handful of times. It's the right answer. Congratulations. Of course it is. I said it. Anything else you want to touch on from the uh, from the mailbag right now on the pod, Mike? No, I just it's a. I wish that it wasn't concentrated to. To well, the end of the first half is. You have to like it's a thing. Like clock management is always going to be a thing. It just it just is. Um, so that's fine. I get that. But I wish it wasn't concentrated to, what it's inevitably going to be concentrated on which is the quarterback situation right now i don't know there's a way out of it preemptively and i'm not sure what the reaction is to what you saw on saturday i just know that like at some point you kind of have to address the issue before you lose a game and i said this afterwards you can learn from a win you really can and they were lucky to win that one by and large um some pretty good criticism of fuente and and his goal line plays there at the end and what he did and didn't do and that's the talking point over there too and i'm sure they wish it wasn't so when you consider the alternative here, which, um, you know, they probably don't win this game in the past. And I feel bad for Brown because Brown gets, you know, we a lot of people were calling it the biggest game of his career. And he has to come down and answer questions about the quarterback and some play calling decisions. And he knows that he's probably fortunate to be down there in a winning atmosphere. And he's constantly peppering his his responses to questions with saying these are fair questions. Well, they're fair. Yeah. But. I think they earned a good outcome there. And it's just that it got a little bit sloppy at the end and it took a really um, I don't want to say a fluke play, just a bad decision that I'm sure if given the chance in the future is not going to happen again to, to really change the talking points afterwards. But when we get a couple of days after you say, you know what, had a plan on offense. Was it the best plan? No, but you can, you can appreciate a plan that got you home with a win. Eventually uh, it wasn't easy, but they identified a path to victory and they got in that lane. That was the thing last year with them. They get in their lane. They're pretty good. It's hard for them to get there and it's hard for them to sometimes establish that. But if they get there, they're good. They got there. 
they weren't great, but they, they got home with it. And again, their defense was a winning performance. They got put in some tough spots, but really the toughest spot was at the end and came through. So even if they did bend a little bit and looked like they were they were kind of bending and bending and bending toward the breaking point Saturday, they did not break when it really mattered there too. So you know, time helps with with perspective, and it doesn't it doesn't make anybody feel better. But I really don't think West Virginia's in the in the business for style points right now. They just need wins, and they got one. I I, I won't bring my thoughts in on that because it'll just be too negative to end the podcast on Mike. I'm not saying you're I'm you're right. Everything you just said there. I just the okay, I guess that's the it whole thing on the podcast. I gotta say it. Is that that all I'm thinking about is that that office uh meme with Pam where she's holding up two pictures and it says it's the same picture. Hold up the Virginia Tech game and the Maryland game, it's the same picture, except basically one play each way, you know. It, it, they 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 the offense slash special teams made a couple big plays, explosive plays, and then looked terrible the rest of the time. The defense looked great, except for a handful of plays, and they started getting mentally and physically fatigued after the offense made some egregious turnovers. And then one of them faded the other way, bent and fell the other way, and one of them bent and fell the right way for West Virginia. So I, I think... Again, I don't want to be the negative Nancy on this podcast. That that's your role, Mike. But I I, I feel like I am being one because I feel like these were the Virginia Tech and Maryland game were the same game to me. What West Virginia did, it was the same game, and it just one or two plays changed the actual win or loss column. And that that's that's why Neil Brown had to take those tough but fair questions after the contest. Yeah, and the thing is that it, it appeared twice in three weeks corrective measures either didn't take or didn't go into effect and then i don't like saying lucky because the defense did its job but like one or two different things happened on the play calling for the offense again they use their big quarterback who knows right then they're one and two and then you worry about well what if this happens again in the next two or three weeks and they lose again they should win um everything matters and sometimes if you get out of, get out with a win that's fine but it doesn't over shadow the fact that there are issues there that you said are are one two plays different from something that you saw before the costume game too so I, I would not say bury the tape and just take the win and move on but we got to learn from it and make sure that this does not happen again so how about not not completely positive for me is that okay <laughs> you're a realist mike that's what you are fair enough well the realist coverage of west virginia coming up on the web text from game day already up Try to find something to, to screen share on. Maybe positive, even. Who knows? There were there were times where Jared Diggy looked like he was a competent passer and he's in the pocket. The running game did some good things. We might have some fun with three-dimensional renderings. Chris, what's up your sleeve? Oh, I love it. Uh, commit tracker just went up, updating on a, a pretty big weekend. Obviously, Nico Marchio with the big comeback win. That, that headlines it. But we are, already discussed that. But Christian Stokes, man, yeah. he is... He's a beast. Like he he's being recruited as kind of a safety. You watch that film of him in high school. He puts up every play that he is involved in, in on both sides of the ball. I think he ran for over 100 yards and three touchdowns on offense. I think he's over a thousand in four games, rushing. And on defense, he had double digit tackles, tackle for loss. He lined up as like an outside corner, a deep safety, a box safety, a linebacker a bandit like i mean he was lining up looking like jared bartlett in one play 
and then out on the corner looking like, you know, Nick's Roy Fortune on another play. Um, so that that's pretty exciting. That's got to be exciting for the coaches to see somebody with that kind of versatility. Making plays, too. Mm-hmm. No matter where. All right. Well, keep your eyes open for that. And then back to work on Tuesday. Interviews, coaches, players, fair questions. Mountaineers, 7.30 p.m. game against human Oklahoma Saturday night. Until then, hi, I'm Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you next time.